You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hey, Michael. Andre. We've got the my Zalto favorite, glasses in front of us. My favorite podcast co-host. Oh, you're my favorite podcast co-host, too. What do you want? <laughs> no, I think it's what you want. Oh, yeah, I do want something. You want what's in this bottle. I do want what's in that bottle. This is a, a, a wine I called Happy Together. It's my wine. I made this one. Well, kind of. Oh, because... Uh, Winemaking is winemaking. Did you give it a, a happy together is the best you could do? I've got when pigs fly and damn Chardonnay and you called yours. What does happy together mean? Okay, well. Before, as, before I completely make fun of you and find out it's something really meaningful. Well, so I was in Washington. Yes. And Without uh, me. Without you. Yeah. And I went to uh, a number of places, but one of the things I went to was a Chateau Saint-Michel blending experiment i guess it is okay and what they do during this blending experiment is they give you six different components of wine okay and you can then make your wine based on those components okay so they have some old vines um cab franc from what they call their cold creek vineyard they have newer uh cab so from the canoe ridge estate they have old Cab so from Canoe Creek. Uh, they have some Malbec just from the Columbia Valley. And so what they tell you to do is um, uh, basically mix them the way you want to or the way you feel that, you know, because you're allowed to taste every component. Okay, but this is um, full-on Bordeaux style. This is a full-on Bordeaux uh, from... Which is because they don't just grow Bordeaux style no, they grow uh, varieties they in, grow in Washington. They've yeah. got a lot of, I they, think, Syrah. A lot of Syrah, yes. Tons of Syrah, tons of, uh, not tons, but they do uh, they do some Chardonnay. And you almost didn't get this bottle <laughs> because I, I drank a bottle of the Chardonnay while I was on the which road. Is, which is also something I enjoyed. The, Chard- so the, the Chardonnay, and I'm actually, actually surprised. I, I really wish that we could have tasted it because um, Washington wines are really... If I'm generalizing, at least ones that enter the market in Ontario, really kind of young, vibrant, like bombastic, sort of amped up to 11 with like fruitiness. Um, Like these are not, you know, your more refined pinky up Napa cab that you're spending a crap ton of money on. And one of the things I love about Washington wines in the LCBO is the fact that they're they're affordable and you get really good American cab with low residual sugar, but high like vibrant, ripe red fruit, like bursting at the seams for a decent price. So this is a 2015. To finish my point about the Chardonnay, though, oh, before we get to that, is I find their Chardonnay is usually my style of Chardonnay and not your style of Chardonnay. Well, I, I, tr- I tried three kinds from Chateau Saint-Michel. Kay. I tried just Chardonnay. I tried Canoe Ridge Chardonnay. Oh, uh, I tried four. Uh, Ethos, which is like their high end. Yep. Uh, I tried this regular Chardonnay. I tried Canoe, Canoe Ridge. Canoe Ridge? Canoe Ridge, yep, and uh, Cold Creek. Okay. Now I like the Cold Creek, the older vines. Um, they they do some manipulation to them, but I, I thought it was a much better Chardonnay uh, to my taste. But there was a lot so of Chardonnay. a little bit like more, this. a little bit more restrained, a little bit more yeah, elegant. Because yeah, exactly. the Chateau Saint Michel Chardonnay I've had have been like really a lot of baking spice, a lot of vanilla, just a lot of presence of oak. Yeah, but Cold really Creek does not make it to the this end. Coconut, pineapple, like yeah. 
uh, Cold Creek does not make it here. Okay. Because they make 1,200 cases. That's it. That's all. And that's in a that's in a good year. Okay. So what this we got here? 2015. Why did I call it Happy Together? Because I used all f- all six components. Okay. And I thought they were very happy together. So, <laughs> so I've got uh, a 10% Malbec. Uh, I got 15% uh, Cabernet Franc from Cold Creek, which is the oldest vineyard. I've got uh, 25% Cold Creek Merlot and 15% uh, Canoe Ridge Merlot. So we've got 40% Merlot. And then I got 35% Cabernet Sauvignon, 10 from Canoe Ridge, again, the younger vines, and 25% Cold Creek. So let's see if you like uh, the together. blend that I, that I created. How about that? Uh, so, uh, what kind of barrels did you choose to use, Michael? Do you know what? Uh, they were already pre-barreled and everything. Basically, you walk up to the barrel. It's got a spigot on it, and you actually pour it in, and then you actually write down what your uh, blend is. Then you taste your blend, and then you're allowed to do it two or three times. I uh, This was my first one. I did it another, twi- uh, another two times. Didn't like either of them. This was the one I liked the best. Wow. Yep. This is... This is almost exactly what I described when I picture what Washington wine is supposed to taste like, except with this blend that you've put together, I find the acids are a little bit sharper. Yep. Um, this definitely has a cooler climate vibe to it than uh, most of the Washington wines that we, we, we get here. Um, wow. Well done. Thanks. I really was happy with that one. So and Blackberry, a- cranberry, raspberry, strawberry, cherry. Uh, I know that's starting throwing, throwing a lot of notes, um, but like the vanilla and spice is restrained and kind of... It's a very um, orderly wine. Like it's, it, it, it's Unlike myself. Yeah. Actually, you know what? This wine actually feels like the opposite of your personality. It feels, it feels like really focused and, and neat and polite. So what's interesting about the 2015, so these are theoretically all the components that their winemaker uses. Um, but then they told us when we're all done, the only one we didn't get that they had in 15 was Petit Verdot. Okay. I guess it's so you cannot copy their wine exactly. Right? So they, get, they keep... One piece away, and I believe uh, they said in 2014 when they were doing it, they uh, they didn't have the Malbec in there. Okay. So they just obviously removed just one piece so that you can't exactly make their wine just in case. That's funny. Um, so what? how long were you in Washington? What's up? Well, I, w- I was there. I feel like you disappeared for a while, and then, you know, you went and visited your lovely wife's family in florida yes i did you didn't get stabbed or or shanked or assaulted with a sex toy so your florida experience was i guess normal i i, I wore a hoodie in florida and i survived to tell the tale so yeah, fair enough <laughs> were you carrying a bag of skittles though <laughs> so, oh no sorry you're white uh but i had a phone in my hand half the time so <laughs> that was the other part um but yeah i, I ended up at, at washington and uh at what was it was the event what was the event that you were there well for? the first the first part of the uh the the trip was called Taste Washington. Think of Taste Washington as um, a cross between I4C and um, the Toronto Wine and Cheese Show. So okay. what they do is there's a whole bunch of events that surround Washington wine. So I was at seminars. So, you know, the School for Cool. Yep. So I was at two seminars. Um, one of them was about Grenache in Washington, which you don't hear a lot of Grenache on this side. But some of the best wines I tried while there was made from Grenache. Grenache okay. Blanc I had from uh, uh, Rhine Van Vineyard. Fantastic. Um, just uh, there was Or wine. She made just a straight Grenache. But 
you don't see Grenache here from Washington. You see Cab, you see Merlot, yep. you see Chardonnay. Yep. You just don't see Grenache. Even then, like the Chardonnay is sort of few and far between. We see Chateau Saint Michel Chardonnay and maybe Columbia Crest, and that's it. Yeah. And they're both from the same both place. Both from the same company, basically. And then uh, I also did a, a, a seminar on. Um, uh, it, it was. Uh, let me just. I want to get the name right. Okay. Uh, He's got the, notes. We're more prepared than usual for this podcast. Through the grapevine: lessons learned from a lifetime in Washington wine, and that was uh, hosted by Bob Betts, and uh, that was really a lot of fun. Betts is is a real big name, and they also had uh, Ted Basler from uh, Saint Michel, uh, Gary Figgins from Leonetti, uh, Rick Small from Woodward Canyon, and uh, Betsy Wittick from Bainbridge. Uh, vineyards and these people from what i remember had 182 years of experience in washington wine right there in that room so they were telling you know how it was in washington and what it was like to make wine in the early days and what it's like to make now uh you know they had a farm experience where you went out to the farm you had a a, a lunch on the farm made from stuff that came right from that farm you had a chef there i went to oxbow farms they had a red and white party which was just kind of a the opening party where a bunch of wineries were there. I, I think it was 32 Sounds like the perfect wineries. party for a Canadian. Yeah. Um, you were supposed to wear red and white. I had none with me. Um, <laughs> but that was that was held at a place called Aqua uh, by El Gocho, which was right on the water. So you're in Puget Sound, and you're looking right out over the water. So as I said, those were the like the I4C events. And then there's like the new vintage, which is held in, a, in a, an old church, um, things like that. And then there's the grand tasting. Now, the grand tasting is the wine and cheese show. Like... But with a lot more food. Like, I remember doing the wine and cheese show in Toronto, and you, and you, lots of wine, lots of booze, but there was never like chefs doing food. I don't know if that's still the way. I haven't been there I in so long. I haven't been there in, in a while because I, I'm just going to be perfectly honest. If there's an event where I have to pay an admission to go to and then buy tickets when I'm there, yeah, I. I I just don't go. It's not usually not worth the money. So here, like the new vintage, if you were doing the the new vintage grand tasting, or sorry, the grand tasting, be between ninety five and two hundred and ten dollars. But all the food, all the drink you could have, and uh, no tickets, no nothing. Um, and, and it was really neat because they had all kinds. Like it was literally for every four wineries, there was a chef. Okay. So that's really cool. And or or some kind of food station, and then they had a whole dessert station set uh, set up. So for all kinds of you know ice creams and but everything was local. So some some great you know the things that I really gravitated was like fried cheese and and uh, seafood <laughs> you know things like that. It was just some really there was some. I actually didn't know you were really big great. a big seafood fan. I love usually, seafood. We're usually eating meat when we get together. Meat barbecue things like yeah. that. Yeah, but I am a huge uh, seafood fan. So I, I snapped in, in front of you while you were talking about uh, how great this event is. The um, Washington State AVA map, and it's actually a lot bigger than I thought. And it's really kind of cool because I always thought that most of the wine in Washington was coming from that uh, southeast corner, Walla Walla. Yep. I didn't realize that the Columbia Valley was a little bit further north. So it's sort of right smack dab in the middle of Washington yep. State. But I also didn't know that um, they grew grapes around Seattle. I, I've yeah. driven I've driven to Seattle a few times. I've never seen vineyards. We didn't see much stuff. We were in Seattle. That's where this Taste Washington happens. I love Listen, not to put in a, a plug for Seattle tourism because I'm I had nothing to do with this. But I love Seattle. It is a, a clean city. Um, the market there is is beautiful. It's just like it's just a nice city to well, be in. I walked through Pike's Market. I saw the very first Starbucks. Um, mm. It was just you know, 
it, it, it's like a facsimile of the very first Starbucks. Correct, because so it like burnt said, down. Yes. yes, the original one burnt down. But the interesting part about Pike's Market, which some people do and some people don't know, is you can only have one location if you're in Pike's Market. You cannot have another location. So it was kind of a blessing, and yep. may, maybe they orchestrated it. I'm not saying anything like that. But um, for Starbucks to expand, they had to get rid of that first store or move outside. So I think they're about 100 feet outside yep. of... And there's Pike's one market. on either end of the market. There's the one that they say is the original store, which is lined up. Yep. And then they have another one on the corner. Anyways, it's part of the fabric of the Correct. city, and and, and and it's 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 fun to go to. And if you like nice, anyways, we don't need to to, I, to be shills to, for Starbucks. I, w- I went to a a, a place called uh, in Seattle in uh, Pioneers uh, Pioneer uh, Park or Market or. Whatever it was, it's just, it's it's this place where, from what I understand, when you're going to a Mariners game or you're going to a Seahawks game, a lot of people uh, congregate, okay. and that's where everything starts, and then they march to the game because the fields aren't that far; they're like ten minute walk from there. Yeah, and um, right there is called the Estates Room, and that is they do three three different wineries are owned by I think uh, Crimson Estates or something like that. They're a large. Uh, company that owns uh, Seven uh, Seven Hills Winery. Uh, they own uh, Double Canyon, and they own uh, Archery Summit, which is out of Oregon. Okay. And they have all three of those wineries in one place. Yeah. And the funny part was we walked in, they gave us a, a bottle or a glass of champagne, and we're all like, wait a second, where does this come from? So Crimson also owns a champagne house because their owners love champagne, so they got a champagne house, and then they, so, so that they could, they could start their tastings off right. They bought some champagne. Do you see sparkling wine in, in Washington? Very few. Uh, there was a place called, I want to say it's Treveri. They are the only sparkling wine house in Washington. Interesting. And like the only, that's all they do. They're like our, our hinterland, right? So that's I mean, all they make. So they had a Blonde de Blanc, they had a Rosé, they had a, a vintage uh, a blonde noir. They had all kinds of interesting stuff. Well, I mean, l- let's talk a little bit about um, a little bit about climate because Washington's kind of a, a neat climate, especially in and around that Walla Walla area because it is very desert-like. Uh, like I, I, I don't know, is it actually desert? It is desert-like. It's after you, like when you drive over there, so there's the Cascade Mountains, and nobody can see what I'm doing here, so I have to describe yeah. it. Like the Cascade so, Mountains are right next to Seattle. Yeah, so what you do is there's the there's the Puget Sound in there, uh, and then there's Seattle. So everybody go get your map of Washington, find Seattle on your map, and then as you drive east over the Cascade Mountains or through the Cascade Mountains, you get into the areas like Walla Walla, uh, you get into the Columbia Valley, things like that, and what... Some people don't realize that the Columbia Valley continues into uh, Oregon. Oregon. Yep. So you can actually find. I, I know when I was in uh, Willamette that there were wineries that were dealing with fruit. Yes. Uh, some of them on both sides of the border because the Walla Walla Valley goes into Oregon as well as yeah. It was, as Washington. It, was, it was kind of funny to go into a winery and they go, "This is from our Oregon fruit. This is from our Washington fruit." Yeah. It was just really interesting, and. Um, so yeah, and then the interesting part is that desert is is continuing from British Columbia too. Yep. The same desert, same yep, Cascade yep. Mountains, same everything that comes through. And the, the summers, the, thing, sum, the summers in Washington are very hot. Very hot. Like we're talking about forty degrees, things like that. And the winters are very cold. Yeah, I don't think I don't think not, Canadian not as, cold. Not as Canadian cold, but cold. 
but like still below zero, like snow on the ground. Correct, but that, uh, they don't worry about minus twenty six and 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 death of of vines. Yes, like they don't worry about that. But because of the crazy hot summers, they do need to irrigate. But in a very so at one, I was going to tell you about this, and it's kind of the funniest moment. And as a Canadian, it's one of those moments that kind of makes me go, really. Um, so in one of those um, seminars I told you about, the through mm-hmm. grapevines, where they're talking about the. Uh, the history of Washington wine. They were talking about how hot it was getting and that they have to start planting higher up on hills and things like that. And so this was a seminar for the public, obviously. And as media, we got in and, and were able to sit in and take notes and blah, blah, blah. So somebody raises their hand and said, um, well, why don't we just go up into British Columbia because it's cooler up there and take their fruit? That's a very American thought, is to just go in and take British Columbia fruit. So uh, I think Bob was like... Um, no, <laughs> you can't just go. I'm thinking you can't just go into a sovereign country and take their fruit. Uh, we may be friends with British Columbia, but you can't just you know go and take their fruit. It's also so, even taking a look at the, this map of these deserts and the AVAs. It's still at least a, a couple yeah, of hours from correct. from the Columbia Valley, from the north tip of the AVA. Yeah, but the and, guy was uh, thinking so was, because it's cooler up in British Columbia. You know why don't we go up and and some of their fruit? Well, obviously that takes it away from being Washington wine. First of all. Well, I mean, is there potential for Columbia Valley to start planting further north? I mean, I, I've driven that full east stretch of um, of Washington State, and it is barren. Well, as as I was as I was saying, from Seattle. So if you're driving through the Cascade Mountains, like everything is really light, plush, and green on the Seattle side. Yeah. You get to the other side of the mountain, you get the coniferous trees, blah blah blah. And as you go into that desert, it literally it's almost like a, a, a line that you you see that green, no green. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's and you can look behind you and you can see the line of trees as you're going through. Going, where do the trees go? And it was it's really quite interesting to see. It's it's um, I don't want to say breathtaking because that's the wrong word, but it's quite awe inspiring to look at that and go, those are the trees. Now I'm in the desert. And All here right, we are. I, I know that people listening to this will be able to get some specifics and nitty gritty of probably a lot of the wines you tasted at MichaelPincusWineReview.com. But let's break it down so that we've got some meat and potatoes on our plate. What was the best bottle of Cab Sauve that you tasted in in Washington, and what did it cost? Wow, best Cab Sauve uh, might have been from Feathers. I'm sorry, from Long Shadows Winery, and it was uh, called Feather. I kept calling it Feathers, but I think it was called Feather. But actually, yeah, I've got two actually. So that's that's one of them. Yep. The other one was from uh, Matthews Winery. And Matthews uh, has two lines of wine. Matthews has what they call their blend series, which is under the Matthews label. And then they also have Tenor, which is single varietal. Their Cab Sauve was outstandingly good. Um, Just outstanding. And how much do these bottles cost? Well, the Feather, if I'm not mistaken, was about 60 bucks. Okay, that's not bad. And the Tenor Cab Sauve was 70 yeah. So in Washington State, do you see the insane Napa, California prices, like $150, $200 a bottle? Uh, surprisingly, no. You know, they they consider themselves a uh, value wine region. Now, look, $70, $60, would, would most consumers consider that value? Um, probably not. Well, we talked but- about it after my trip to, to Napa. Value means, um, you know, value for dollar. I... I still have some wines now where I'm spending $80, $90 a bottle just because I know they're on par with, say, Grand Cru Bordeaux that goes for 10 times the price. Uh, are, are they making Grand Cru Bordeaux-style wines in Washington? I don't even want to make you touch that unless you really, really want to. But 
I mean, I th- the, the, I think... the $20 Columbia Crest uh, Cabernet Sauvignon is something I look forward to buying at the LCBO because it's affordable and it tastes great. I don't know if Washington wants to compare themselves to Bordeaux. How about cool. that? I uh, think I think they're happy to say we're Washington and we're Washington proud and this is they want you to taste a bottle of wine and go yeah that's that's Washington wine. You know that that's a really progressive attitude for a wine region because I I still think that even in Oregon you have people trying to be Burgundy. I think in Ontario we don't know what we're trying to be whether it's Beaujolais Burgundy or Bordeaux people are trying to make the comparison and even now in Napa in California, well-established wine region, you go to places and they're pouring their Pinot Noir for you, saying, "Oh, this tastes like Burgundy." They're still comparing themselves to the old world. I don't think if you anybody can, if said you can that. bust out of the mold and be, "This is who we are. We own it." They, like you're, 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 you're planting your flag on your own identity they, from the onset. They, ne- they never once said this is a, like a Bordeaux. They would have said this is a Bordeaux blend. But yeah, which is which is fair. It's yeah. it's the it's the. Um, the, you know, the, the, the components of, what, yeah. of the engine. It's the parts of the, the parts Correct. of the engine. But nobody ever said, "Oh, we want to make this in a Bordeaux style." They were like, "We're always making this in a Washington style." And the the interesting part about uh, Long Shadow Winery, and, uh, and just quickly uh, touch on this one. Holy is, crap, Michael! We actually sound academic on this. You're using notes. We haven't sworn once. Like, we, what we, is going on? We can do it if you want. But I mean, what Long Shadow did was they paired with a lot of winemakers from around the world, brought them to Washington, and said, "What can you do with Washington fruit?" So, like, uh, they have a, a wine called Sagi, S A G G I. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. That's what I'm going with. But they, but they brought the guy in from Folinare to to work with uh, Sangiovese and Cabernet Sauvignon and Syrah, just like you would in in Chianti. Uh, they brought a guy in from the Pirouette is made. Uh, um, you know, Bor- oh, sorry, that's a Bordeaux-style blend from Napa's Philippe Melka. Uh, Feathers is actually made with Randy Dunn from Dunn Vineyards. Mm. Uh, Sequel is actually made with uh, John Duval, best known for his productions of Australian Penfolds Grange wines. So they bring these guys in and, and try to make them, oh, not try to make them, but have them make wines from fruit. Um, that is so cool. Michel Roland comes in and he makes a Merlot. With uh, with long shadow, okay, so, so neat stuff. So I asked you about the cab soves just because I know when I think about Washington, I think about cab sove, yep. um, and I hope I hope they're okay with that. Uh, what give me give me two wines that you loved that were not made with cab sove? Oh, I mentioned Grenache, and uh, some of the Grenache were just outstandingly good. So there was this, um, uh, as I said, or uh, was making a great Grenache. There was this this winery called um oh man it's gonna it's gonna uh hold on i gotta i still gotta go to notes it was like one of the wineries that i went to first. yeah you're like literally off the plane out of oh, florida over. and doing and doing this so i appreciate that we're breaking this down because we usually take some time to dissect this before we get to it owen Rowe, owen Rowe um made this uh grenache blend called sinister hand which has a you'd love this label oh, yeah, i saw you post that that severed hand yeah. on the front that was outstandingly good wine outstandingly good like i love that the and, other things uh, i loved is the stuff from uh as i mentioned Rhinevan did this uh Rhinevan, yeah Rhinevan does this stuff from um uh, grenache blanc which was another great bottle of wine but they also did syrah and they did it very uh, and he was he was probably one of the few that said i'm looking for a rhone valley style and he nails it Nails it on every single bottle. Which part of the Rhone? I'm guessing Southern Rhone. Uh, he's he's looking for Northern Rhone, so a little more oh, wow. minerally, a little more. Austere. So in Washington, he's probably harvesting in like late June, then, right? 
<laughs> no, the regular John. But that was that was some really really good wines for this guy. Cool. Uh, favorite white wine that you had? Favorite white wine. Uh, it, it's the one that I got the uh, a hole comment from you for. It was the um, was the Chateau Saint Michel Cold Creek Vineyard Chardonnay. I really thought that was that was good. Um, but that Grenache Blanc was a very very close second, like really really close. Is in there? I have a bottle of that with me as well. Not. Here. Well, I, I gotta and say, I'm 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 a little jealous that uh, I had to live vicariously through you through your photos on social media. I do have uh, to point out uh, one thing that you and I would have. I tasted all the rosés that were they were put in front of me. Okay, cool. Washington is not yet into dry rosé territory. They're still in slightly sweet, slightly candied. But I do have to give a shout out to uh, Seven Hills Winery. Their uh, rosé was outstandingly good made with um it's a blend of stuff so cab <laughs> cab franc um but it was it was dry and at 18 dollars, it, it would have been the wine that if i could have brought back a case and the Beauregards weren't going to stop me i would have brought a case back and just drank that happily all summer long it was that good it was i do have one bottle wow so. well so I'm looking forward to your rosé to see if it matches up. <laughs> I think mine's going to be in a very different style. No, this yep. was, um, man, I like like I said, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe hitting up Washington State later on this this year, and then maybe at the end of the year we could do a big Washington powwow to uh, to compare our notes. I'll give you some notes and some places to, to get your ass to. Did you make it to Lake Hall uh, 41? I was, I was at the winery right beside it. That's but, really funny. But um, they were supposed to, it was interesting because we were at Woodward Canyon for a dinner and we were uh, the thing was that a cold 41 was supposed to come over for that dinner but something happened somebody couldn't make it so it was just woodward canyon um but it was really nice because uh woodward canyon actually did um uh, when they hosted us probably some of the best chicken i've ever had <laughs> uh the guy made chicken like you wouldn't believe we had um yeah rick small uh hosted us and somehow, some way, I think we started with a bottle of, uh, he brought a, a bottle of 99 up. Next thing you know, uh, the end of the evening, we end up in, in his cellar. He's opening up like an 87, an 82. There were some really great old wines that he opened up. They were all, you know, a cab. And the funny part is, he's open, like he's one of the pioneers. Uh, so he starts his winery in, I think it's around 76. Okay, so the, so the wine region is the same age as Niagara. Yeah, so there is still a forty-year-old wine or wine region. So he's opening up this, and and he says, "Oh, this ninety-nine is from Old Vines fruit, right?" And you're thinking, "Hmm, that's not really old. That's nineteen-year-old fruit. That's not really very old fruit." But I guess in Washington at the time, that's considered old fruit. So old All right. is. I know we've had the discussion of what considers old. I know old another podcast, fruit, another time, but. You know, old is depending on where you are. I know we could probably go on and on about this for a, a lot longer, but yeah. You want to drink a, this wine, I Yeah, made. thanks so much. This You blended a really good blend. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually reading these notes. MichaelPinkusWineReview.com. Thank you. I'm Andre Pru from UnderWineReview.ca. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave a review. Tell your friends. Uh, go visit Washington State. Go visit Washington the wi- State. The wines really are tasty from there, and... Seattle, Walla Walla, both beautiful places to visit. Love Seattle. I really would. I would go again. I have a shirt that says Seattle. 
I'm Michael Pingus of MichaelPingusWineReview.com. Look for my notes, as Andre said. They'll be coming up in the next uh, month, probably after I finish the Italian notes I was supposed to write up in February. Yeah, you've been traveling too much, dude. Yeah, I know. Good night! Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.